man, I'm so thankful to be here, and I'm so proud of and, and grateful for Dad Yu, and uh, I don't know if it's possible to be the, the dad of Dad Yu, but I guess that's uh, in some regard uh, what I am uh, going back. Uh, so many of you guys have uh, been here and served with me in the past, and so I'm so thankful and thankful for the way that Chris is continuing to to lead us. Uh, let me introduce my family just so you know that I actually am a dad. This is my crew from like two Easter's ago. I probably should have updated that picture because uh, my... Uh, Son on the left there is like a foot taller than that now. But um, so this is uh, Josiah uh, on your right. I don't know how to do this with the monitor on your right. Uh, he is a sophomore at Oklahoma State. Go Pokes. And, uh, and then Selah uh, is my 18-year-old daughter and uh, just graduated high school and is working full-time well, as much as she can. Malachi there on your left is my 15-year-old. Uh, and he was up early going to run cross-country this morning, probably past Bruce's house. Uh, and then uh, Ella is my eighth grader. So I, I uh, my oldest turned 20 this week, so I did have four teenagers until Tuesday. And now I only have three teenagers and a 20-year-old, which is, uh, I think officially makes me old. I don't know. Is that, is that like where you cross over, John? Okay, that's what I thought. So... Uh, so Josiah, when he was uh, about, I don't know, he's probably four or five years old, my wife tells the story of uh, she was riding in the car with him. He's in the back seat, you know, kind of strapped into whatever device we had to strap kids into at that time that I know has changed like 10 times since then. But he's in the back seat and they're driving at night. It's kind of dark and, and he's just kind of gazing out the window and he just says, mommy, he goes, I love the stars. And so my wife kind of gets a little bit teary-eyed and is thinking, man, this tender-hearted, sweet boy, like, oh, man, he loves the stars. And, and so she kind of responds with this, yes, Josiah, I, I love them too. And, and aren't you thankful for God and how he made the stars and how he made you? And he kind of is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it's quiet for a second, and then all of a sudden he goes, Man, I really love the stars. My favorite part was when they punch each other in the face and there's blood everywhere. And my wife is just like completely caught off guard and shocked. She's like, what, what just happened? Well, what she had forgotten is that just a couple of nights before that, a friend of mine had given us tickets to the Stars game. And, uh, and we had gone, it was a preseason game, and, and uh, we were literally like right up against the glass, right behind the goalie. And one of the biggest fights broke out right in front of us, and the cleanest punch I've ever seen landed hit this guy square in the nose. I mean, blood is all over. They're like scraping the blood off the ice and everything. And Josiah's like, this is awesome, you know? And, uh, and so I, I tell you that story because, uh, you know, when my wife uh, had that moment and listened to this, what she thought was this tender-hearted boy, what she didn't do, where, where her mind didn't go is to go, man, I wonder if he's going to be a boy or a girl. I wonder if, if maybe this tenderheartedness that I'm beginning to see is telling us something about what's kind of on the inside of, of this little boy. Like that, that didn't occur to her 15 years ago. But sadly and unfortunately, that is a question now that uh, many people in our culture are having to kind of ask and wrestle with because of what they're being fed in, uh, through media and, and just even through schools and, and all the types, those types of things. 
And yet Josiah, thankfully, uh, I guess, you know, kind of blew that category out of the water and everything was fine and normal. And he was a typical, you know, kind of rough and tumble boy, if you will. And yet what we don't want to do in the midst of that is to find our confidence and find our hope in uh, what we expect our children to be, but rather what we understand God's word uh, is telling us in this. And so this morning, I just want us to acknowledge that we are uh, raising our kids in a culture where our kids are being forced to ask to answer questions that we weren't even asking five years ago, ten years ago. That they weren't even there, and yet our kids, whether you uh, raise them up in a homeschool environment, a private school environment, a public school environment, whether you bring them to church each and every Sunday or or, uh, or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. This is something that it's not a matter of if you're going to have to have this conversation. It's just a matter of when. And who's going to initiate the conversation, as Chris said? Is it going to be uh, a reaction to something that they see or uh, hear about or learn about through another uh, avenue? Or is it going to be something that you, Dad, that you take some initiative in to go, hey, I want to make sure that my kids understand God's vision in this. And, and so, again, just in case you're wondering, like, is this something that, um, that is just kind of out there? Hopefully, uh, most of you understand it's, it's not just out there. And so I just, I jotted down a few things that just uh, not long ago, I was sitting with a community group here at Watermark who was wrestling with what to do with their kids and school because the, the, school, the private school that their kids had been a part of that was connected to a Protestant mainline denomination had decided to um, switch to bathrooms that were kind of uh, anybody can go in any bathroom type deal. And so that community group was having to wrestle with, okay, what do we do? Do we need to move our kids out of the here, and, and, and how do we handle that? One of my dearest friends uh, has had to wrestle with the, the reality that, um, that her uh, nephew no longer wants to be her nephew and has articulated that as a, as a toddler to her parents, and her parents have affirmed that. And so my friend has had to decide whether she wants to stay in relationship uh, with this family because they're saying, hey, unless you accept this and, and receive this, like you can't even be a part of our family. And so she's had to wrestle with, and what, what do I do with that? Uh, in my own community group just uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I had to uh, help a couple of the guys in my community group navigate what to do because they were going off with uh, one of the, the fifth grade trips, you know, out to, I believe they were going to Sky Ranch. Uh, and, you know, having to decide, there was a, a little girl who had decided that she identified as a boy and wanted to stay in the boys' cabin. And so how were they going to handle that, and what were they going to do in that? Uh, a friend of mine here at Watermark, who's an attorney for Sky Ranch, having to have conversations with him about Sky Ranch and how they were going to host public schools as they host them out there. Like, this is all, like, right here uh, with us. And then just this Tuesday night, uh, we have a ministry here called Prodigal. If you're not familiar with it, Prodigal uh, is a ministry for um, parents and uh, sometimes even spouses where uh, that spouse or most often that child has gone wayward in some way. And so they're trying to figure out, man, the chaos that's going on. Well, that ministry was started and largely was populated uh, for many years by uh, addiction. Right? It was uh, kids who had gotten addicted, uh, whether it was drugs, alcohol, pornography, or whatever, and they just kind of gone off the rails. And yet, as I was there on Tuesday night, I was talking with uh, my friend Jenny. She said, Wes, every person who comes in here who's new is coming in here because their child is battling with gender um, issues. Now, that, that's the new norm now at Prodigal. And, uh, and I sat with a, a longtime friend whose child grew up right here at Watermark, 
went all the way through all of our ministries, and uh, right before uh, they went off to college, had a, a moment where it was revealed that they were struggling in this way, and not just struggling, but actively participating in this way. And that mom and dad, who are faithful members here, heartbroken, and are having to figure out how do they navigate through life in that way. So I, I, I give you all of that to, to not do one thing. The wrong response is you hear all that, the wrong response for me is fear. Like that, that's the wrong response. It's a very natural response. I do want to acknowledge that. It's a very natural response when we see this like tidal wave of shifting culture is to go, oh my gosh, and what do I have to do? And, you know, uh, kind of do I wrap my kids in bubble wrap, so to speak, you know, and just kind of protect them from this uh, evil, harsh world? And yet that is the wrong response of men of God. It's the wrong response of the church for us to, to respond out of fear. Over and over and over again, the scriptures tell us, do not fear. Do not fear. Be not afraid. And so it's, I, I don't tell you that to, to make you afraid. I tell you that to make you prepare, to encourage you to prepare, to be ready, and to help your kids and to shepherd them. They need a shepherd. They need the good shepherd. And we as dads are just pointers to him. We are his under shepherds, and we have an opportunity to move our kids closer to this good shepherd. Uh, the... Uh, Theme for Dad U this, what is this, spring, fall? I don't know where we are, <laughs> uh, whatever this is. Uh, the theme has been walk wisely. And uh, again, we, we need God's wisdom in here. And so Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to the beginning and to understand that God's word and his wisdom is going to guide us in the midst of this. And so I want to give you what I hope are going to be just some helpful tools for thinking about this, first and foremost, and then some hopefully just some practical things that I think we can do as men, as dads, to help shepherd our kids towards that good shepherd, okay? So first thing I just want us to, to acknowledge is that uh, what our culture is not doing as they identify what's happening out there. What do I do when a child begins to question their gender and their sexuality? Well, the, the, um, the God of the day is look inside you, right? What do you feel? How do you, how do you identify based off of how you feel? And yet that is a, it's a worldly worldview. And yet we are not a people of the world. We're a people of the Bible. We're a people of our God. And so we want to go to a biblical worldview. And so just basic understanding of a biblical worldview is just these five points, right? That God created everything. That everything God created was good. That sin marred God's good creation. God redeemed creation through Jesus. And God will restore creation. So those five points, when we rightly understand them, then we understand the brokenness that we're perceiving. We understand the, the longings even of our, the hearts of our kids or the kids around our kids who are going, man, I just, I, something feels unsettled in me and I'm looking for a way that I can get settled again. That, that's what this culture, that, that's what they're crying out for when they're, um, uh, you know, kind of experimenting with sexuality, when they're questioning their gender identity is that they're, they're wrestling with there's something unsettled in my heart. And so again, why, why do we not fear? Well, we don't fear because yes, of course something is unsettled in your heart. You live in a broken world. You live in a world that was marred by sin. And so Jesus, so we go back to the beginning and, and we see God establishing in Genesis 1, 27, God created man. 
And he created them in his image. Male and female, he created them. And so we just go back and we go, okay, that, that is uh, how God created everything. And he identified it as, and it was very good. It was very good. And so there was a goodness and a rightness about this binary structure of male and female that God created. And, and then we see in Genesis 2 that then, God, uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so again, we see this ideal of what it looks like to be male and female, complementary in the way that we uh, uh, love and serve and help one another. And God established that, and it was good. It was good. And then, of course, we go into Genesis 3, and we see that, that serpent come in and tempt Eve and tempt Adam, and here we go. And they, they take and they eat of the fruit that God had asked them not to. And in verses 6 and 7, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what's happening in our culture today? Well, what the, the ideology of the day is doing is it's going, hey, let, let's see if we can find some, some different fig leaves to help with this unsettledness that you feel. Let, let's see if we can find some different fig leaves. And that, for, from Genesis 3 to today, that, that's all that the world has ever been able to offer is, hey, maybe, maybe we can find some fig leaves. And yet what we know from Genesis 3 is that God went and he slaughtered an animal and wrapped them in the bleeding skin of that animal to cover their nakedness and shame as a precursor to what he would do ultimately through Christ to redeem this brokenness, to cover us in the blood, bought, uh, the blood of Jesus, to, to purchase us back. And that's the only way that we can find healing and a settledness and a rest. As Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What we are witnessing in our culture right now, right now is a weariness and a heavy laden. Right? You see it. And they're longing for it. And what they're doing, what they're running to, and what they're suggesting to our kids that they run to is the fig leaves that only the world can offer. And yet we can see from Adam and Eve that didn't work out very well. There was nothing they could do to, to cover their own shame. It was only through what God could do. So we are the redeemed people of God. We've been called to live out a redeemed sexuality. And so every one of us walking into this room, our sexuality is broken. It is broken. And yet because of the gospel and because of Jesus, it can be redeemed. And it is being redeemed. And then this greater reality, which is that one day all of this, all the sad things will come untrue. And everything will be fully restored to a glorified state where this unsettledness will no longer exist because our king is coming again. And that, that's the reality that we live in. And so that's why we don't have to be afraid. It's why we don't have to be afraid. It is why we have to be on guard and be on the alert. And so I want to give you um, just an acronym. If God made male, uh, men and women... And he saw that they were good. I want to use that acronym of M-A-D-E, MADE, to just kind of help us think about what is it then that we can do as dads to help raise gender-healthy kids. Okay, And so the very first thing is that gender-healthy kids are made when we model our role. When we simply live out the 
commands of scripture for uh, what a, a godly husband and a godly father looks like. And we model those things before our kids. When we uh, honor and protect their mother, when we honor them and, and seek to serve them, when they see us serving and not using our authority to lord it over our kids, but rather they see us coming to serve them with a heart of humility. You see, these are all the things. And so, you know, in, in Matthew 19, uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tested him and asked, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so what did Jesus do? He just went right back. He goes, guys, it was good. It was good. God created it good. And so don't, don't stray from that ideal. And yes, we understand that divorce happens because we live in this broken world. And there's lots of factors that, that uh, come into play. But, but that's not God's ideal. And so we want to continue to move our kids. And so how are we doing at that? How are we doing, men, at modeling for our kids what it looks like to love their mom, to sacrifice for her? What, what does it look like for you to, uh, to not exasperate your children? but instead to raise them up in the, the love and the instruction of the Lord. So for us, it's just simply, as Chris already alluded to, it's being a people of the book, studying and understanding, and what is God calling us to? Understanding passages like Ephesians 5 and just making sure, hey, is this really playing out in my marriage and in my home? And then Ephesians 6 and going, okay, is this really the way that I'm fathering and parenting my kids? That, again, as a redeemed man of God, because of the gospel of Jesus, these things are flowing out as an overflow of the grace of God in my life. They're flowing out of my life. And so how am I doing just examining that? How am I doing? How, how, how is uh, your wife doing? And, and how are you supporting her in all of her endeavors? And all the things that she's doing, that Proverbs 31 uh, uh, kind of uh, mold that is out there, we just go, man, there's just so much beauty and goodness uh, and dignity about our wives and about their role in our home. And so what am I doing to make sure I'm elevating that and supporting that, celebrating that, honoring her? And I've got a lot of room to grow in all those areas, and I'm sure you do too. And yet God is continuing to call us, hey, come on, come on, don't give up, don't fall asleep, stay awake, be alert, be on the on guard. And so for us as men, it looks like the very first step is just, hey, I just want to model for my kids. I want to live out in front of them what it looks like to be a, a, a man of God. I want to celebrate and honor their mother in such a way that they understand the, the beauty and the dignity and the value of a woman and the uniqueness of that. I love John Piper. I listen to him and read him too much, but I, I love this quote. He tells this story about growing up. And uh, he says this, he says, when I was a boy growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, my father was away from uh, the home about two thirds of the year preaching across the country. My mother handled the finances, paying all the bills. She once ran a little laundry business on the side and was active on the park board. She taught me how to cut the grass and splice electric cord and pull Bermuda grass by the roots. I don't know how to do any of that stuff, just to be clear. And paint the eaves and shine the dining room table with a chamois and drive a car and keep French fries from getting soggy in the cooking oil. And he says this, he says, I heard one time that women don't sweat, they glow. Not true. He said, my mother sweated. She dealt with the contractors when we added a basement and more than once put her hand to the shovel. She was strong. And then he says this, but it never occurred to me to think of my mother and my father in the same category. Unmistakably, my father was a man and my mother was a woman. And so how are we doing at celebrating 
that. And then that kind of leads us to our second point here, that we want to model your role, but then secondly, we want to avoid gender stereotypes. And, and so this is really key, and it's really helpful for me personally, okay? So um, I have a few different images in my mind as I think about this. One, um, you know, I just... Uh, I used to go to Ethiopia quite a bit. Uh, I got to serve over there several times. My two youngest kids are from Ethiopia, and so uh, we would take teams from Watermark over there. And, and I'll never forget, I think it was my very first trip, uh, we were uh, actually coming back home, and we were uh, in the airport waiting for our flight. And so I'm just kind of walking, you know, kind of uh, buying time, basically, until uh, the flight takes off, and I'm strolling around the airport, and I'm walking down this hallway, and I see these two um, military guys, Ethiopian military. They're in full camo. They've got AK whatever's slung over their, their shoulders, and they're walking down the aisle or down, the, down the, uh, the hallway, and they're holding each other's pinkies, and they're going like this. Now, you might think that's strange. They don't. Why not? Because culturally... When you go to Ethiopia, you find that there is an affection that, that men have for, for men that it has nothing to do with sexuality or attractiveness or anything. It's just this is how they relate to one another. It's the high fives that we give and the bro hugs that we give that they might look at us and go, man, that's weird. Well, why do I say that? Well, because when we think about um, gender, we have to understand that we have been preconditioned to think about certain things in certain ways because of the day and age and location where we live. Like there are things that immediately when I say, Hey, what does a man look like that your mind immediately snaps to and go, well, this is what it looks like. And yet if you grew up in Ethiopia, it looks very different. That's a different, um, identifier there. And so what we have done intentionally or unintentionally, mostly unintentionally is that we have created these stereotypes and it's kind of the craziness, frankly, of some of the sexual revolution because people are saying, Hey, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be, um, you know, my, my gender, I want to be this. And yet what do they do? They run to kind of the traditional stereotype of what a, a girl would look like. So a, a guy who says, hey, I want to be a girl begins to do all these things that we in our culture have always identified a girl to be, how they dress, what colors they wear, right? Fashion, what their interests are, all that. And yet in, in all of that, that that's, not, that's not necessarily female, Find in the Bible for me where it says that, that, uh, you know, that a girl has to like dolls and, and only play with dolls. It's just not there, right? And yet that's how we have kind of done this. So when you think about, um, we, we talk about the gender spectrum, and you hear that oftentimes. And yet I, there's, there's a wrong way to think about that, and there's a better way to think about that. The wrong way to think about that is that there's one gender spectrum, and on this end is the male, uh, kind of, you know, the, the Superman male, and then on this side is the, the Barbie girl. Okay, And so depending on where you kind of fluctuate within the context of that, and again, in the, idea, uh, um, the ideals of our culture right now, depending on where you fluctuate, that's probably your gender. That's probably who you are. That's probably your identity. And yet that's a false dichotomy. It's a false understanding. The reality is, is that there is a male gender spectrum and there's a female gender spectrum. There's actually two gender spectrums. And when we can rightly understand that to go, hey, a male, there's a wide spectrum of what it looks like to be a man. And there's a wide spectrum of what it looks like to be a woman. That enables us then to, to understand that, hey, just because you've got a girl who likes to climb trees and is rough and tumble doesn't make her less of a girl. It makes her a girl who likes to climb trees and rough and tumble. 
That's what it makes her. And just because you have a boy who is more um, interested in the arts and music and, and, and whatever else it might be that you know, has no interest in sports and, uh, and all that doesn't mean that they are less of a man. That just means that they're, that's the type of man that they are. And so what we want to try to do as men, as dads, is we want to try to avoid those gender stereotypes and, again, not allow ourselves to live in the fear of this. We even see this in the scriptures. So I, I think about King David, right, and uh, uh, there's some speculation that's going to happen here, Dis- disclaimer, but, you know, you think about King David, and oftentimes when we think about David, what do we think of? We think about Goliath. Yeah, we think about Goliath. We think about him killing bears and, you know, uh, all, all the things that he did and being a mighty man of God. And we think about that. And yet you do understand that that same David is the one who would apparently like sit for hours and pen poetry. And he tended to sheep and he was tender with a sheep. And so you kind of have this David who in one moment is over here cuddling a sheep and writing a poem. And then over here on the other side is slaying giants and fighting off bears and lions. And in the midst of that, David is being fully a man in in all aspects of that. And then you have uh, judges like Deborah, who is this woman of God who stepped up and in a moment is leading an army into battle. And in the next moment, she's over here writing the song of praise to God and writing down poetry. And in all of that interaction, she's not being, well, she was kind of being manly over here and then she was being, you know, more womanly over here. No, she, she was being fully who God created her to be. And so we have to avoid those gender stereotypes. One of the the most typical ones that we are guilty of today is just this whole like, hey, you do X like a boy. You do X like a girl. We sometimes use it playfully. I I know I have. I've been guilty of that in my own house. Like, oh, man, you know, that that was very girly of you. And that's just not helpful. And and if I could kind of strip some of that language and some of that context from us, I, I would just tell you, hey, be careful about that. Because especially in the culture and the day and age in which we're living, that's beginning to affirm some things that they are going to hear from the outside world. And so we just want to be careful. And what we really want to do is kind of this next point is that uh, we want to delight in the uniqueness of our child. You want to delight in the uniqueness of the child that God has given you. I, um, I am a big Mr. Rogers fan. Uh, I love learning about him, watching old Mr. Rogers. I like going to, uh, right, Bruce? I like taking my team. Uh, I took my team when I was on the kids' team to the documentary about Mr. Rogers uh, one time because I was like, we got to go. And I'm just inspired by him uh, over and over and over again. Mr. Rogers uh, often would say, he would say, look, I like you just the way you are. And now I, I would just tell you that that, that sentiment, that idea has been hijacked in a way to go, yeah, so leave me alone and just let me be who I am. And that, that's not what Mr. Rogers was affirming in that moment, okay? And it, it's certainly not what we are affirming. That, that, that's not to affirm a lifestyle that is contrary to the word of God. What it is, is it is a need for us to be able to look at our kids and to delight in the, the child that God has given you, not in the expectation of what you longed for that child to be. Too often we get caught in that expectation. We go, oh man, this is what I always expected, and so this is what I want. And then our kids, guess what? They, when, when they don't live up to that expectation, they're pretty perceptive, and they can see it, and they can experience that, that disappointment from a dad, and it begins to do something on their insides. And they need us, like Mr. Rogers, to go, I like you just the way you are. And so rather than being disappointed that 
that little boy that I thought was going to love to, you know, uh, cheer on the same teams that I did or, or you know, play that game that I, uh, that I played when I was growing up and, and they're just not interested instead of expressing disappointment. I mean, I want to delight and, hey, tell me what you love. What do you love? I, I want to love that too. I want to come alongside you. I want to foster that. I want to affirm that. Psalm 18, 19, we have a God who does this for us. It says, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And then Zephaniah three seventeen is a verse that we use so often where it just says that the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt, you, exalt over you with loud singing. And so how are you doing at affirming the child that God has given you and not... Uh, expressing disappointment that they're not who you want them to be. How are you doing at that? What are those things? Uh, some, for, for some of you, it is you learning to get interested in the things that your kids are interested in. There, there are just things that, um, you know, my kids have been interested in historically that I'm just not. I, I'm just not. And yet, if I want to be intentional to affirm them and to, to celebrate them, I, I need to Uh, express and to become a student of that thing that they love. And so that's looked like uh, everything from uh, from musicals, right, to certainly sports that I, I, I was not a soccer guy by any stretch of the imagination until my oldest started playing soccer. And now I know way too much about soccer. And uh, maybe care too much, right? Like, but I, I didn't grow up playing soccer. I didn't think about that. But when my child began to do that, man, I just, I wanted to go, okay, I'm all in. Like, how do I how do I delight in the child that God has given me and not express that disappointment? So we model our role for our kids. Uh, we avoid gender stereotypes. We delight in our child's uniqueness. And then finally, it's just this, is that we empathize with the broken. And man, I, I sat down yesterday with my friend Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hoffman, who's on our staff, and is just kind of helping us to think about uh, a wide variety of things. And, and this is one that specifically she's spent a lot of time just trying to think through, man, how do we uh, engage the, the world around us, help and shepherd our body through um, this kind of sexual revolution, gender ide- uh, ideology revolution that we're in the midst of? And as we were talking through this, she said, Wes, I think this one might be the most important thing for us. And so I love, one of my favorite verses that was really uh, revolutionary for me as a teenager uh, is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul's writing, and he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we all go, yeah, that's right. And for a long time, frankly, in my uh, early teens, in my uh, childhood growing up, that, that list was, that was the them, right? Those people over there. Those people. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And yet I remember as uh, I was probably 16 or 17, reading that next verse, the next words of that verse, where it just says, and such were some of you. What Paul's doing is he's helping us to identify, hey, look, their brokenness is your brokenness. It's the same brokenness. It's the same brokenness. And the answer is the same for them as it has been for you. And so... Perhaps you're walking as a redeemed man of God because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does that mean? Well, that means that for the, the drunkard, for the thief, 
for the homosexual, for the gender-confused person, guess what? They too can be redeemed. And so the question before us is when we begin to hear these things, or maybe when they come to your dinner table, like your kids are walking to your dinner table and they're talking about that friend at school who told them this, what's your reaction? Is your reaction a them? Look at those guys. How terrible. Oh, man, I hate that. Or is your reaction a, hey, and such were some of us. When Jesus looked out in Matthew 9, when he looked out at the crowds, we were told that he, he saw them and he had what? Had compassion on them. Why? Because he could see that they were sheep without a shepherd. And then he looked at his disciples and said, let's pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into that harvest field to send shepherds out there to those sheep. So your kids, your culture, your neighborhoods, your schools, they are full of kids who are experiencing this brokenness. Anxiety rates are shooting up. Suicide rates are shooting up. The reality is that the suicide rates of those who express, a, hey, I just don't feel like I'm living in the right body, they stay the same for those kids who go, well, let me transition to a new body. The suicide rates are still there. Why? Because they, they put on those fig leaves and they found, hey, it just didn't, it didn't do the job didn't do the job. And I'm still just as depressed and anxious and hurting as I was before I began to make all these changes and before the world started to affirm, oh sure, you be you. I'm still feeling that emptiness. And so we have to model for our kids and even our reaction to whether it's the new cycle or whether it's that friend in their classroom, we have to model for them what it looks like for us to empathize with the broken to understand that the, the wrestling of our culture right now is a wrestling of Genesis 3. That something is broken. A couple of years ago, there was an article in World Magazine entitled, Laura to Jake and Back Again. It was the name of the title. Uh, this is a picture of Laura. And so her story is that in her early 20s, Laura learned about transgenderism on the internet and began the journey of transitioning to becoming Jake after years of feeling like she should have been a boy. So she made this transition. And if we kind of start there and we go, oh man, what a mess. What's wrong? This is crazy. And yet that's not the beginning of the story. What we need to do is we go back and we understand Laura's story. So Laura, we're told, was born into a family with a mom who had suffered two traumatic late-term miscarriages that caused her mom, Francine, to distance herself from Laura. So she didn't have a, a good relationship with, with her mom. And then Laura was molested at the age of eight, and again at the age of nine, by two different boys. And the shame of that caused her to distance herself from her dad. So she'd had this really sweet relationship with her daddy up until she was about eight or nine and then because of that interaction, she pulled away from dad. So now she's isolated. She's alone. She's a sheep without a shepherd. So she began to engage in multiple inappropriate relationships with boys, became addicted to pornography, joined adult hookup websites, and even dabbled in the occult, she says. So much pain and so much confusion, like a sheep without a shepherd, she tried to soothe her pain with multiple surgeries, hormone treatments, and yet another relationship. This time it was with a man who identified as a woman. This was Laura's story. But in the meantime, her mom, Francine, <coughs> surrendered her life to Christ. She started going to a Bible study at the, her, her local church. 
And she began to pray for Laura, and Laura saw the change in her mom and began to study the scriptures for herself. And eventually, Laura surrendered her life to Christ. She cast off her fig leaves, and she wrapped herself in the blood of Christ. And she began to embrace uh, God's design for her gender and sexuality. And Laura eventually, um, uh, I believe, I'm trying to remember now, uh, but I think she married, she was engaged at the time of this writing to a man, uh, a godly man in her church, and was planning to get married. So why do I tell you that? Well, because, and there's a lot of hurt and brokenness in this world. Come on Tuesday nights, hang out at Prodigal, and you're going to see these parents who are hurting for their kids and who are longing for that. And your kids are walking out into it. Your family is in the midst of it. They are your neighbors. They are your kids' classmates. They're playing on your kids' soccer teams and baseball teams and dancing with, at, at your daughter's you know, dance recitals. Like that, that, they're, they're there, and they need us as the men of God to foster our families in such a way, to raise our kids in such a way that we uh, affirm this biblical identity of male and female and both of them being very, very good and equally good, and modeling that in such a way, and then engaging in a world that is broken to say, hey, I, I happen to know a really good shepherd. I know a really good shepherd, and, and he gives you something far better than fig leaves. And so we want to model that for our kids. We want to avoid the gender stereotypes. We want to um, delight in the uniqueness of who God made them. And then we just want to empathize with the broken and not demonize the broken. Let me pray that we would. So, Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for these men. And, Lord, again, as we prayed at the outset, we just acknowledge that we need you desperately. there's a lot of confusion. We, we have not even scratched the surface of this topic. We don't have time to do that. Even if we were to spend all day today, we probably wouldn't get too, too far. And uh, so, Lord, thank you for a brief moment just to uh, focus our eyes and our attention on, uh, on you and uh, on your um, plan for us, your good and perfect plan and creation. And then, Lord, to be reminded this morning, Lord, I hope maybe above all else, that we're all reminded this morning of what you've done for us, Jesus, on the cross. And how you paid the price for our sin. How you stood between us and the wrath of God so that we might be saved. And, and Lord, that you offer this invitation to all of the weary and heavy laden in our world today. And so, Lord, as our kids begin to wrestle with that, Lord, I pray that we appoint them to the good shepherd. As our kids' friends begin to wrestle with that, I pray that you would give us opportunity to point them to the good shepherd. As the culture around us, our family members are wrestling with that, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to point them to the good shepherd and that they would find rest for their souls. So, uh, Lord, help us now as we just spend time uh, discussing these things. Pray that the discussion would be helpful and encouraging to us and, uh, and the, Lord, you just give us strength. So, thank you, Lord. Uh, for your grace in our lives. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. I think you've got some discussion questions on the screen and at your table. And so thank you guys for letting me be here.